I'm going to invite you to come with me on a journey today, and I'm going to ask you to find the roadmap in Mark's Gospel. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, would you please turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark's Gospel, the ninth chapter. To be effective in Christian living and Christian serving, we need to learn one thing. Well, there are several things wrapped up in that one thing, like don't take yourself too seriously and uh, don't be too bothered about how people see you or how they talk to you or how they treat you. But in essence, the one thing that we need to learn to effectively serve is to get over ourselves. Or if I wanted to be really direct and personal, I'd just say to you, get over yourself. Don't get stuck inside your own ego, and here's why. Because over time, it will become your prison. It's amazing that while Jesus was talking about his impending death and his sacrifice on the cross for all of us, dying for our sins and the sins of the world, and you'll find this, and I'm going to refer to different parts of Mark 9, so if you're using your Bible, you're going to be way ahead, and if you don't have your Bible with you, we're going to have some on the screen, but not all. Verses 30 to 34... He's talking about his impending death and sacrifice, and while he's doing that, the disciples are caught up in a debate of their own, talking about which one of them, among them, is the greatest. Can I just stop there with that story that's so familiar? That's not really a mark of Christianity. While he's talking about death, sacrifice, giving his all, they're talking about, well, who is it in our group that's the greatest? Now, recent events probably aggravated that situation just prior to that, so let me back it up. You see, three disciples had the privilege of a mountaintop small group experience. Verses 2 through 12, it's, it's, it's the transfiguration of Christ. I'm not going to go into the teaching of that or the explanation of all the meaning of that, only to say that's the revelation of the heavenly body. And not only that, they had a very exciting small group meeting that day because, wouldn't you know it, Moses and Elijah showed up. Wow. You read it yourself. This is not being made up at all. And while they had a great time... The other nine disciples at the bottom of the mountain had a shameful time because they failed to help a demon-possessed boy. And you'll read that in verses 14 through 18. Even if you're doing a thumbnail sketch, you can catch that. Now, with unique experiences like all of that, it's easy to feel on top of the world if you're in one group or maybe not so important if you're in another group. You see, no two of us have the exact same experience. And then perhaps that causes some to be envious, I don't know. Perhaps the three who had the special experience felt so spiritual about all of that that they looked down on the nine who had failed. 
And I want to say to those three who were on the mountaintop, get over yourself in this group. Who is the greatest? We know who the greatest was. Now, how do you get over yourself? Well, number one, you stop focusing on yourself. When we focus on ourselves, there will be arguments and debates. That will be arguments and debates with others and continual arguments and debates within our own mind. This episode starts with the disciples arguing with one another and then Jesus ends this teaching, if I can drop all the way down to verse 50, and here's what Jesus says. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salt is being coined here to describe our lives. We are to be a blessing to others, and we are to be an influence in this world, and we are, bring, we are to bring healing and preservation to all that we touch. And salt refers to the goodwill that seasons, that seasons positive relationships between people. It's called the covenant of salt, indicating friendship and compassion one to and one for another. And all of that introduction. To present to you a message entitled, The Value-Added Life. And may I note, Part one, there will be a couple of messages on this topic, and I think it needs to be said for every one of us in the room. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us to this place. Now we ask that you would quiet our spirits, open our minds and our hearts, and may your Holy Spirit have free course within each one of us to do the things that you are prompting us to do. We want to have the value-added life, and we want to share the value-added life with others. And for all this, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So don't look at yourself too much. Don't focus your energy and attention only on yourself. It'll get you nowhere. It's just a meaningless ego trip. Now, let's take a look. The disciples start debating about their positions. They were really interested at that point about in their status. And then the next part, verse 38, we hear John telling Jesus, here's what he said, I think we have it up. He said, teacher... <laughs> We saw someone, we saw someone, he was driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Now, just sit and let that stew a little bit. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, just a while ago, the nine disciples failed and now we have a new fella coming on this 
seem we, he's nameless. But it would appear that he's doing an effective ministry. And they tell Jesus, we saw him casting out demons, so we asked him to stop. No, that's not what the Bible says. We told him to stop. Because he's not one of us. Uh, by the way, I've met some of those disciples. The disciples see themselves as having a certain level of privilege. You see, only we can do that. Hey, it was just moments before they'd already failed. Somebody else is succeeding. And they say, no, stop him. Only we can do that. Only we have the power to do that. Because we are Jesus' true disciples. Wow. Now you see where their train of thought is leading them? They're beginning to see themselves as somebody who's very special. They're beginning to think too highly of themselves. They're beginning to put themselves on a pedestal. And they're beginning to think only they can do these certain acts of service. And we see how Jesus twisted the thought around for them. Jesus brought a little child. Look at verse 37. And in essence, he said, be like him. And he made reference to the child all the way down to verse 50. Whoever welcomes one of these little children, verse 37, in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes one of these little children, not just children, little children in my name welcomes, say it with me, me. Those are the words of Jesus. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me, God the Father. So the little children, on the one hand, the disciples on the other. So the disciples see the little children coming. Uh, Matthew 19, great, uh, great example here, verse 13. I'm thinking of that verse when little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and bless them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them and rebuked the people who brought them. You got the little children on the one hand, and you've got the disciples on the other. And those disciples see the children as a disturbance. They're a nuisance. Little respect for children. There are adults talking, children go away. Shame, shame, shame on you, disciples. Here's my question to you Can you humble yourself? And welcome into your circle a little child. Jesus said, when you welcome that little child into your circle, you are welcoming Jesus. And then he went on to say, and when you welcome Jesus, you're welcoming the one who sent Jesus that's God, our Father. Can you welcome a little 
child. I love little children. I love big children, but I love all children. And as far as I'm concerned, if this church ever gets to the place where children, toddlers, teenagers, young people, young adults, if, if those people are not important, matter of fact, to me, they're the most important because they're the only thing that's going to last for a while. Hello? Only one life, so soon it's past. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this church decides it doesn't have time for the children, it doesn't have a place for the children, it doesn't have a program for the children, then it ceases to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't think that you're the only one who can do something or do a certain thing or you have your specialty. Be happy that others are serving. Be happy that others got involved. Be happy that they're doing it. Oh, 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 oh here it comes. They, they, they might even do it better than you. Don't think you're the only one who can do that certain thing. Because there are no privileged ones in Jesus' circle. Sorry. And then we go down to verse 41 of Mark chapter 9. Anyone who, see it starts off, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ or you belong to me or you belong to the Messiah, different versions have the different rendering there, will certainly not lose his or her their reward. I love that verse. Many people believe that touching the lives of others can be done only by some. There's this elite group of very over, over, uh, I, I don't even know how to, how, to, how to say it, performing, gifted people, all kinds of talent, all kinds of oratory skills, all kinds of other strengths, and they can do it so much better. Let them do it. That is just not the case. Any ordinary man or woman can make a positive impact on the lives of others. As Dr. Martin Luther King put it, we can even find Jesus totally objectifying himself when he cries out, if you have done it under the least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me. This is the way to go through life with balance. This is the way to go through life with proper perspective because you've given yourself to something greater than self. Sometimes it's friends. Good. Sometimes it's family. Good. Sometimes it's a great cause or a great loyalty. Good. But give yourself to that something and life becomes meaningful. Another way to rise above your self-centeredness is by having the proper inner attitude toward your position or your status in life or whatever it is. You see, you conquer self-centeredness by coming to the point of seeing that you are where you are today because somebody helped you get there along the way. 
You see, there are two things that even a turtle sitting on the top of a fence post knows. One, he didn't get there by himself. And two, he only got to the top through someone else's effort. Somebody helped him. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Marion Anderson. The great person who stands on the stage of history with all of the prestige and all of the fame that can come to any one individual. Miss Anderson, of course, was a world-renowned opera and spiritual contralto. She was born the eldest of three sisters, had a grandfather who was emancipated from slavery. Her father died at the age of 37, and her mother took on a very low-paying job, caring for small children, by the way. On Easter Sunday of 1939, opera star Marian Anderson was denied the opportunity to perform in the DAR Constitution Hall because of her race. Subsequently, however, she performed an historic concert on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to a crowd of over 75,000 people plus a radio audience of millions. She sang at President Eisenhower's inauguration in 1953. She sang at President Kennedy's inauguration in 1961. Considered by many to be the greatest voice that has ever come out of this country. She was a very close friend of Albert Einstein, himself a champion for racial tolerance. Marion was awarded, hear this, 24 honorary doctoral degrees from distinguished colleges and universities. She died in 1993 at the tender age of 96. But this we must never forget. There were the fine people of Union Baptist Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the choir that she faithfully was singing in, who said to her, Marion, you have it. Go ahead, sister, and we're going to stand with you. Listen to me. And that's why Marian Anderson became great to so many people around the globe, because she always recognized that fact, that ordinary, simple, well-meaning, Christ-like people were standing behind her, supporting her, and encouraging her in her every, every effort. One day, someone said to Marian, Miss Anderson, what has been the happiest moment in your life? She answered, It was not that moment that I stood before the critics of the world and I sang with the Philharmonic Orchestra of New York and the critics were lavish 
with their praise. It's not the moment that I, that I sang before the kings and queens of Europe. It's not the moment that I sang before Sibelius of Finland, the great composer. And here's what he said. My roof is too low for such a voice. Not even the moment when the great Toscanini said that I possess a voice that only comes once in a century. But listen here, folks. Listen, listen, listen. She said, the greatest moment, the happiest moment in my life was the moment that I could say these words, Mother, Mother, you may stop working now. Get over yourself. How? Number one, stop focusing on self. Secondly, stop taking yourself too seriously. Most of us think that we're more important than we really are. And for all you not meers out there, I'm going to repeat it. Listen this time with both ears. Most of us think that we are more important than we really are. Stories told of a young pastor who, full of energy and enthusiasm. And his energy and enthusiasm was for the Lord, and that's wonderful. And one day he went to the hospital to visit one of his parishioners who was critically ill. This was a serious and a grave situation. And the minister entered the room, and he saw the man lying in bed with a whole host of tubes and wires attached to his body. You can picture it. And without any delay, the minister strode right over to the bedside and began to exhort this man to be of good cheer. He's rattling away with pride, quoting scriptures like nobody else ever did. Pretty soon, the man started to wave his arms. And this encouraged the pastor and so he exhorted him even more and more enthusiastically. And finally, the holy man ended with a rather lengthy prayer, of course. And at the final amen, the pastor opened his eyes just in time to see the man reach his arm over the bed for a pad of paper and a pencil. And very quickly, he scratched something on that and he handed it to the pastor. And then the man turned his head and became unconscious. The hotshot pastor was deeply moved to think that his visit to this man, after all, it occurred just in the nick of time. I must be such an encouragement to him, he thought. I must be the best thing ever happened to him. Then he looked down at the pad and read these words. You are standing on my oxygen tube. How do we get in those build-up moments like that? And why do we stay there? And in some instances, why do we build our lives and everything about us that's of any value, it seems? It's all about that. How do we do that? If you look at verses 42 to 48 in Mark chapter 9, here's what Jesus said. He went on to talk about causing others to sin. He said, you become a stumbling block to someone else's life. <coughs> Excuse me. Now Jesus 
use this illustration because in those times, this form of execution was probably the way they actually did it, it for the worst of criminals, of course. History tells us that the Syrians, the Romans, and the Greeks all used this method. And what was the method? A millstone was hung around the neck of the, of the uh, criminal, and then he was thrown into the sea. Now, it may not necessarily be a sin that you're committing. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 10 through 13, Paul is talking there about stumbling blocks. And when he does, he's talking about eating food offered to idols. If the one who is spiritually mature and understands the truth feels proud about himself, be careful, Christian, and does what he likes, he may cause great harm to weaker, younger Christians who are not yet strong enough in the faith to understand the meaning of it all. And as disciples, we're not to be the cause for another brother or another sister to sin or to fall away from the truth. God forbid. Jesus says, if you cause someone to fall away by your foolish actions or your pride, that's a serious matter. And the consequences are great. And then he concludes, I'd like to come back down to verse 50 again, because that verse really is important to me. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. I like the way that Jesus brings it all together. He says, look at the child. Be like the child. What does that mean? That child is usually or always in a state of need. That child has no special status. And that child doesn't see himself or herself too highly. He doesn't or she doesn't think of themselves as too highly, too high at all. Remember, there are others like you. You possess no special privilege with God. So don't look or see, look at or see others too lowly or too far below your status. Watch that you do not act foolishly. You have no special immunity. Don't be blinded to your own weaknesses. Heaven help us. Make sure you have salt in you and make sure it stays salty and don't lose it. My friends, our behavior affects other Christians more than we can imagine. Would you repeat that, Pastor? Certainly. Our behavior affects other Christians more than we can imagine. In a December, I think it was 1985, the year, there was an article in Christianity Today. It was called The Covenant Companion. And it declared, quote, no one's behavior is entirely his or her own business. Well, just stay out of my life. It's my business, not yours. No, no. Nobody's behavior is entirely his or her own business. In our day of prized individuality, and that whole idea of it's nobody's business but mine attitude, we actually as people trip each other up in more ways than we recognize. Stumbling blocks may be unkind words we speak. Could be unchristlike actions we perform. Could be questionable habits 
that we just to which we cling. We just we just can't get free. So I ask you, is there some stumbling block you may have placed in another Christian's or maybe someone who's an almost Christian? They're seeking, they're looking, they're asking, they're moving, edging towards Christianity and salvation. And you've done something that might impede their pathway and the Holy Spirit is directing you to surrender to Jesus today and to turn away from that particular thing, that thought, that action, that habit, whatever it might be. So therefore, to get over yourself and check your ego are two big things in learning how to have a value-added life. And here's how to pass it on, the third thing. You need to think about others. That's the value-added life we seek. It has to do with people. I was sitting here this morning for just a few minutes thinking while Pastor Todd was listing the various announcements, and I'm thinking there, were, there, was, there was all kinds of serv- community service and ministry involved in everything that we said, whether, whether it was Guatemala, whether it was the summer giving, whether it was the gifts to the schools. Don't you think that's tremendous? Whether it's just reaching out to others in various ways through the food and the non-food and all of these things. And I'm not talking about a social gospel here. You still need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to enter heaven and you need to come to him and live that value-added life. I'm not doing away with any of that. You know I wouldn't. But we need to, try to, to start thinking more about others and all that, that has, this value-added life has to do with people. Thinking about others will cause you not to think about yourself. It'll be, cause you to be concerned about people's welfare and, 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 their, and their safety and their health and their future and their eternity. Don't be a stumbling block. Have salt in yourself. Be a stepping stone. Listen to their needs. Live another centered life. You'll be greatly blessed because that's the value-added life. In fact, medical doctors tell us that one of the major causes of poor self-esteem is self-absorption. From John Maxwell's Failing Forward, this account comes. Somebody asked Dr. Carl Menninger, the world-famous psychiatrist, Dr. Menninger, what would you advise a person to do if he felt a nervous breakdown coming on? Many people expected him to reply, as soon as you can, go see a psychiatrist. Because that was his profession. And that's what he was famous for. And he wrote many books on the subject. But to their surprise, here's what Dr. Carl Menninger said. He said, lock up your house. Go across the railway tracks. Find someone in need. And do something to help that person. Stop focusing on yourself. Then you won't have an argument. You won't have these internal debates. They won't come because you're too focused on self. 
It won't be my idea, my way, my method, my plan, my comfort, my need, my, 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 my. It'll be others. It's not that long ago. I remember it well. I've got a wonderful memory. It's very short, but it's... The 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. The USA men's basketball team, and I know that's, that's iffy if you're a sports fan, they didn't do so well. Let me explain. The amount of talent on that team far outweighed that of their opponent's teams, probably of all the other teams. Yet the players sometimes themselves found it difficult to play together as a team. Oh, yeah, they won gold. Oh, whoopee. They won the gold. But by some of the players, it was referred to as a nightmare experience. It was Dream Team 2. It was just a group of prima donnas. Some of them didn't want to play with certain others. Some didn't show up for practices. Some made a a fuss over the uh, playing time. Some portrayed a lazy, lethargic attitude. Some had a poor approach to games. Some had the superior feeling toward other teams and other countries. Or that idea that, oh, why is he starting? I should be starting. And they're moaning and they're complaining. And one of the very most famous of all those players said, I can sum it up in three words. I hated it. Egos. 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 Meanwhile, the women did a very good job. They were exceptionally good in their teamwork. They also won the gold medal. But theirs wasn't tarnished. With the men, what went wrong? What went wrong with that team? So easy. Go back and read the reports. You'll see. It was selfishness. When competition, hear this carefully, when competition is fierce, selfishness makes it almost impossible for a team to be successful. It can ultimately produce failure, whether it's in sports, in relations, in business, in life, in families, in homes, in marriages, it matters not. It can ultimately produce lasting failure. So I ask you, and I only ask you this because I love you and I want the best for you, each one of you. When people think about you, do they say to themselves, my life is better because of that person. Or do they say, my life is worse because of that person. Now, can you do a practical exercise here? Let's add value to people's lives, and here's how you do it. Just let's say those words, add value. We say it with me, add value. Add value. One more time. Add value. What are you going to do this week in your life that's going to be different than what you did last week as it relates to the world around you? You're going to go out there today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week, and you're going to do what? You're going to add value. You're going to do one more time. You're going to And that first thing you have to do is put others first. That's first and first. 
Now, here are three vital questions to consider. When you meet people, is your first thought about what they'll think of you? Or how you can make them feel more comfortable? Quite a difference. Secondly, in your workplace, do you try to make your coworkers or employees look good? Or are you more concerned about making sure that you receive your share of the credit? And here's the third question. When you interact with your friends, whose best interest do you have in mind? See, your answer to these questions will show where your heart is right now. And by the way, there's no right or wrong. There's no pass or fail. It's just a matter of seeing and knowing and understanding where you are right now and then taking steps to improve it and to add value. Now, to add value to others, you need to start putting others ahead of yourself. I didn't say equal with, and I didn't say caught up to, and I didn't say almost as good as, but you have to put others ahead of yourself. Mm. Mm. Be more concerned with what you can give rather than what you can get. And here's why. Because giving truly is the highest level of living. So what did Jesus say in Mark 9.50? He said, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? So have salt in yourselves. Ask yourself, ask yourself, who am I pouring my life into? Who is it that I'm helping? Somebody that can't maybe help me in return or give anything back to me. Boy, that's important. Who am I lifting? Just taking them to the next level. And I know he or she can't do anything in return. And this would help them, though. And on a daily basis, who am I encouraging? Who am I saying that kind word to? Who am I lifting who am I being patient with? Hello? Who am I being positive with? Who am I encouraging? Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common folks like you and me all are builders for eternity. To each is given a book of rules, a block of stone, and a bag of tools. And each must shape, ere time has flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. A stumbling block or a stepping stone. Which are you? 
Are you enjoying the value-added life? And are you bringing anyone else along, adding value to them, showing them the true experience of the value-added life? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to anoint the words, the thoughts, the scriptures that have been shared, the words of Jesus that we've repeated. Make them, may they have a holy entrance into every mind and heart and spirit in this place today and for those who are listening on. Heavenly Father, we want to have that value-added life. And we know that when Jesus is in the life, it's value-added. And so as we spread our wings and allow you to do your work in us, and that influence moves out to others, and they too can enjoy the value-added life. Keep us aware and cognizant and reminded of all that you've taught us this very day. And we'll thank and praise you for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.